Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. Oh God, we gather in your house grateful for this Father's Day Sunday. We're grateful for your presence with us now. We pray your Holy Spirit would move among us in a fresh and powerful way that we might hear with gladness and joy all that you say to us. Lord, we're here to learn, to grow, to be challenged, to be encouraged. Would you let all of that happen today? Because of your grace, open our hearts now to what you say to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. May the people of God say, Amen. We're in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Let's hear the word of God together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and who called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. 
Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. As I said earlier, we do begin this new series called Getting Real with Each Other, talking about things that we all face but rarely discuss. Today, it is confidence. Now, some may say, well, I don't need to talk about that, preacher. I'm 50 years old. I figured out confidence a long time ago. Well, I understand. That's okay. Just keep listening because we are actually talking about being confident without being a jerk. Okay, that's what we're talking about. The Jesus way requires far more of us than just self-confidence. There's a lot more here to talk about. Our text from 2 Timothy shows a spiritual mentor, Paul, helping young Timothy grow in his confidence. Paul paints us a picture of Jesus way confidence. Now, I want to talk today as we get into this, I want to talk about four layers of confidence that I think we all have. The first three are easy to remember, learned confidence, earned confidence, and burned confidence. Can you say learned, earned, and burned? Say that with me. Learned, earned, and burned confidence. That's the first three. The fourth one is the real thing, the real thing, true confidence. Now, learned confidence is something we've all experienced. We encounter something new, a hobby, a skill. We just, we just learn all about it. We just absorb everything we can. Our confidence begins to grow as we learn all about this thing, whatever it is that we're really interested in, maybe just all of a sudden. It's easy in this layer of confidence to kind of develop a, a little bit of a false sense of confidence. People get impressed with what we know. They, they see quickly that we know a lot about this thing, whatever it is. They get impressed. Uh, they have confidence in us. Our self-confidence starts to grow. Sometimes we get into trouble being a jerk in these moments. <laughs> that sense of confidence can get just a little bit bloated. Uh, suddenly, we are the smartest person we know about this thing. That's, you don't really ever want to be the smartest person you know, but that's where we get sometimes in this layer of confidence. But we haven't really earned any true confidence, right? It's just all on paper, if you think about it like that. It's just stuff that you know in your head. Now, earned confidence comes with the next layer, and that begins to happen as we actually do something with what we know. We actually put to work all the stuff that we've learned about. Again, people notice suddenly she not only knows about the thing, she can actually do the thing Earned confidence tends to be way more realistic than learned confidence. You've had successes, you've had failures, you've uh, learned some real lessons. Over time, your confidence soars. Other people see you, you see you, you know what you're doing, and people begin to depend upon you as you earn this confidence. You You don't make too many mistakes. Wise folks get into this place and they just... They just keep on keeping on. They just keep on growing. Unwise folks uh, sometimes develop a little cockiness, maybe not out loud, but at least in their hearts, they develop a little cockiness with their earned confidence. Then comes burned confidence. Okay, that's the next thing to come. This is what happens when some of our confidence gets burned up through failure 
or ineffectiveness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It gets kind of burned up. You can raise a hand if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we know when we burn a little confidence. I, I think back to high school. Uh, you grow confident in your ability, let's say, to do pre-algebra. You get in pre-algebra, you're really good at it, you love your teacher, you can handle anything she throws at you, any kind of test question, any kind of conversation in class, you can do it. And just the time you think you've got it all figured out, you're very confident in your abilities in pre-algebra, what happens? You go up to Algebra 1, right? You go to Algebra 1, and now you've got a different teacher, same subject. You know all about the stuff. You get in there, and you can't do better than a D or a C. You're just working yourself to death, and you just can't get what happens to your confidence. You, you burn up some confidence, don't you? You burn it up. And if you don't stop, get some help. Go talk to the teacher. Get a tutor. If you don't stop, things begin to get really difficult. What happens? Your confidence gets burned up. I'm learning about myself and others too, that the way we respond to burned confidence teaches us a whole lot about ourselves. I usually have uh, at least one of three responses to burned up confidence. The first one is this, just total and complete shutdown. <laughs> just walk away. It's over. I'm done. I'm finished. I have failed. It's scary to me how often that is my starting place what happens, I'm embarrassed that I have failed my people, my friends, my family, our staff, whatever and whoever it might be. I just have to take to the bed for a few days. I just get, I get low because I have failed. I just shut down. That's the first response. The second, even more unhealthy response is uh, denying that it even happened and doubling down on my learned and earned confidence. So I just deny that there was any sort of failure, and I'm going to double down on what I know. When I get in this place, you may be the same way. When I get in this place, I'm very difficult to deal with. I'm unteachable. I don't want to listen to anybody. Uh, I need you to know that I know everything because I do know everything. That's how I get in this response to failure and ineffectiveness. I'm a jerk who is going to turn that failure into somebody else's fault. That's what I'm going to do with that second kind of response to burn to confidence. Of course, the third more healthy response is acceptance, isn't it? You accept the failure, the ineffectiveness. You take responsibility. You ask for help, and you humbly grow through the pain of that burned confidence. That's probably the best response, isn't it? That's the best way to do when we encounter some burned confidence. For most of us, all of this happens in the whirlwind of life, right? In the day in, day out, you still got to drop the kids off and pick them up, and this is happening at work, at home, at church, wherever it is. You just whirl along, and you have to deal with this stuff on the fly. Uh, in, back in 2020, uh, my wife, Shannon, I'm, I'm a very fortunate man. My wife bought me a 1964 airplane. Now, before you get too excited, a 1964 airplane costs about the same as the car you drove to church this morning. So it's, it's okay. Don't get too excited about that. It's got ashtrays and cigarette lighters throughout. Uh, it's got a little vent you screw open to let some air in. There's no HVAC unit in the airplane. It's old. It's a tin can in the sky. That's what it is. But I love to fly it when I can afford to buy gas to operate the thing. Uh, becoming a pilot is a journey of personal growth for me that... that still challenges and refreshes me so very much. It's just part of who I am. Some people play golf or do woodworking or go ski in the lake. I, 
I love to get up in the air where my cell phone can't work, and I like to go 187 miles an hour in any direction. That's what I like to do in what Shannon calls the lawnmower of the skies. That's, that's what it is. It really is a very hot tin can in the, in the sky. So we got that thing, and my neighbor, my neighbor and good friend uh, Greg, he, he had heard me talk about flying since we moved in beside them. He's always been interested, or at least tried to appear interested, in my latest lecture about flying, whatever that, and they, and they come all the time, you know, a couple a day. I get a couple of day, lectures a day about flying. I'm happy to give to anybody. He's always listened patiently to those, been interested in my learned confidence. When we got that airplane, he asked if I could take him to Iowa to get his mom. This was in the middle of the pandemic. Could you take me up there? Let's get mama and bring her. I said, well, we've just had this airplane two weeks, but yes, I, I think we, I had no business doing a trip like that. It's a long, scary trip to Iowa, but I knew all about it. I had read all about it, studied all about it. I was ready to earn some confidence. I had lots of learned confidence, good weather, and no fear. That's what I had. <laughs> We took off early one morning, headed to Waterloo, Iowa, and uh, we were about halfway there when I, I noticed that we had a really stiff headwind. Now, being in, a, in the air is different than being on the ground. Your little gauges can say that you're going 187 miles an hour, but you might only be going 110 miles an hour across the ground because the wind is blowing against you, and that's, that's what we were dealing with, and it was about that bad. I didn't think much about it because we had plenty of fuel, and so... Greg and I were deep in conversation somewhere over Ohio when the engine quit. It just sputtered and quit. I was quite surprised that this had happened. <laughs> Greg was also quite surprised that this had happened. He may or may not have had a heart attack in the airplane. I had burned up some confidence right then. <laughs> And I quickly realized that both Greg and I needed for me to earn some more confidence in a hurry. So I laughed confidently like you do. I said, ha, 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 oh, oh, I just forgot to switch fuel tanks before that one drained completely. So I switched to the other fuel tank, and the engine fired right back up, which does not always happen, okay? It did, thanks be to God, it did happen that way this time. It fired right back up, and we just carried on. I felt both like a complete moron and Maverick from Top Gun all at the same time. That's, what, that's who I was in that moment in my, in my head. I also realized that we were burning a lot more fuel than I had anticipated. The rest of the way, my mind is just whirring like a computer, headwind, fuel burn time, headwind, fuel burn time. I, I just kept calculating, we have, oh my goodness, we have just enough, just enough to land. That's how much we had. Meanwhile, we're passing over dozens of airports with perfectly good fuel all over that part of the country. Did I stop and get some? No, I did not stop and get some. I did not. Every five minutes, I'm turning to Greg with my best Chuck Yeager face and saying, oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. This happens all the time. We'll be fine. We finally made it to Waterloo on a wing and a prayer, literally. We bounced five times down the runway. <laughs> I told Greg, that's normal at these big airports with these little bitty airplanes. That's just, that's not normal at all, but that's what I told him. <laughs> the, the man who refueled the plane came over to me. He came and whispered, sir, you had only five gallons left. Now, that is exactly 
the FAA minimum for me, five, but my personal minimum is twice that. So I was half of my personal minimum. I might have had enough, maybe, to go try to land again if something had happened on the first attempt to land. So I had gotten it right, thank goodness, even though I bounced five times down the runway, I didn't have enough to go around. I said to him, thank you, let's don't tell anybody about this. (laughs) He knew, and I knew in that moment, that my bloated sense of confidence could have killed us, or at best, left us walking our way out of a cornfield somewhere in Iowa. That's what really could have happened. We were that close to that actually happening. Learned, earned, and burned confidence all there at the same time. And then we had to put his precious mama in the lawnmower of the skies and fly her back to Murfreesboro. I thought we weren't going to make it home, but we did. I thought so much about that trip. I'm a pastor. I should have these inner workings of confidence and arrogance under control, right? I should have all this stuff down. I'm supposed to know this stuff. I'm up here talking to you all about this stuff. I should know. The truth is, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I don't know. The truth is, I'm a work in progress, just like the rest of us. I learned a whole lot about myself as I went back through that trip with pilot friends and instructors, and thank goodness they helped me put the pieces of my confidence back together in a very different and better way. They were so very gracious. Perhaps you have had folks do that for you too over the years to put the pieces back together. Those first three layers of confidence are always with us. Thanks be to God. Real confidence comes with time and community. It is surprisingly detached from what others think about us. It is also surprisingly honest and humble. Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. Timothy is working in these churches. He's so very young. He's struggling. He's doing good work, but he knows the sting of failure in his ministry. He's dealing with people every day. He is struggling with his own baggage, motivation, and inspiration while they come and go like the wind. His tummy hurts all the time. It's stress, I'm sure. Paul writes from his own experience, verse 6, Timothy, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice or timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Now we begin to see what does, what does real confidence look like in the Jesus way. It is a spirit, a, a way of being in the world marked by God's power, by love that expects nothing in return, and by self discipline. Is it arrogance? No. Is it bloated and false? No. Is it worrisome to those around you? No. Is it unteachable? No. Is it fake it till you make it? No. It is not any of those things. What is it then? Well, look back at Matthew chapter 5 verse 5. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Paul is describing meekness as he talks about confidence. Now, we tend to think poorly of meekness until we remember that in the Jesus way, meekness is actually God's incredible power at work within us under the control of the Holy Spirit. It is God's power 
It is love which expects nothing in return and self-discipline lived with humility. What is actually the seat of this real confidence or the source of it? Well, it's not learned, it's not earned, and it's not burned. This kind of confidence, the kind at the heart of the Jesus way, it comes as a gift. It comes to us as a gift. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the one of which Paul is not ashamed in verses 8 and 12, the gospel helps us accept who we actually are right where we are. Our gifts, our abilities, our talents, our faults, our failures, our sin, all of it gets laid at the foot of the cross so that we can see that we are all broken and beloved children of God, desperate to be made whole. There is no room, no room for that which is false or arrogant or judgmental or anything less than loving because we are all the same at the foot of the cross. Had it not been for God's intervention in Jesus, verse 10 none of us would be able to rise from this place of humiliation and death. But we do rise. Our self-confidence, crucified upon the cross of Christ, replaced then with the confidence in God, who believes the best about us until it becomes true. God-confidence is a gift that must be cultivated. How do we cultivate it? Well, We listen not to all of the other voices either cheering or jeering us. We listen not to our own voice, which sometimes thinks way less of us than it ought and often far more than it should. Rather, we listen to God's still, small voice, which whispers in every moment, I love you, you are worthy, you are capable, you are mine. That's the voice we listen to when God through the Holy Spirit and a healthy community of faith, begins to put our battle-worn selves back together with these pieces, why we begin to find that good treasure which Paul says we have entrusted to God. Verse 14, we find the real thing, the spirit of power, love which expects nothing in return, and self-discipline. How do you know? How do you know if you're getting it right? How in the world do you know? Well, pay attention. Pay attention to those around you. If they blossom and flourish because of God's work within you, then you're on the right track. That's how you know. If they wither and wilt and hide, you may be burning faster than you're learning or earning. The good news is you don't have to keep doing it that way. The Jesus way is so much better. You and I just need to invest the time to listen to Him rather than them. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. 